Just a note, today's episode deals with issues of uh, sexual assault and sexual violence. So just a quick content warning. If you are not in the right mindset or just don't want to listen to any sort of uh, content about these kinds of issues, it will be, of course, uh, very much uh, secondary to the general issue, but uh, unavoidable as well. Uh, you don't have to listen to this episode. Uh, please, you know, do what's best for yourself and your own health um, as opposed to uh, this podcast. Uh, and thank you for, for listening in the first place. This last week, something happened in journalism that set me on the path to this episode. Um, I don't want to dwell on it too long because the person who wrote the initial blog or complaint has had enough happen as a result of writing that uh, initial blog and complaint uh, that me adding to that pile wouldn't help. Plus, per the discussion we'll be having, it's not and should not uh, just be about one instance and one complaint. Uh, that's not fair, uh, particularly to the complainant who has to bear the metaphorical weight of journalism ethics, so I won't do that here. I have included the relevant links in my show notes to both the complaint and the response by uh, former Kotaku writer Cecilia D'Anastasio, uh, so you can read those for context needed if you want to. Um, they can be very useful, actually, to, to kind of understand what I'm going to be talking about. Um, and, you know, if you're feeling a little lost now, uh, you can check that out. But I feel like you'll be OK without that context as well. But in case you weren't, the short version of the story is a developer, a, a games developer, uh, Natalie Lawhead, uh, came forward recently and said she was the victim of a rape uh, by Morrowind, among other things, composer Jeremy Sewell. Uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. We covered this briefly, John and I, on Patch Notes at the time, and we might have cited the article written about it. Uh, there was one written by Cecilia D'Anastasio for Kotaku. Uh, Lawhead, the developer, says, um, and let me get this out of the way, yes, I do believe her. Um, and that's important. I, I support Lawhead's version of events. Um, I think she is telling the truth, and uh, you know that's just – inevitably, you're going to come down on one side or the other of this, so I figured I would be upfront with everyone. Um, and, and, you know, this podcast has been put out with uh, the approval of Lawhead as well. I, I messaged her and asked about this. Is also, it's important to note that I am firmly on uh, her side here, uh, such as sides need to be taken. Uh, but Lawhead says that D'Anastasio published details of the rape that she expressly assured Lawhead were simply for legal coverage and would not be published. Upon Lawhead very politely emailing D'Anastasio asking if she can remove those details, D'Anastasio said that a journalist never deletes things they believe are true or uh, gained via you know, effective journalistic practices. Um, let me make an aside here to say uh, this is something that Lawhead says in her blog post as well, and I believe it's worth noting. Um, the, the actual sex acts that happen in a rape um, never are relevant to a story and shouldn't have to be published Um and we'll see again reasons for this as we go through. Um, and the other thing is, of course, rape isn't about like sex. It's about power. Um, and so any sort of like racy details or anything like that are really just kind of like invasions and, and re-traumatizations of, of people who have already gone through a lot. So um, again, just an aside. Um, so upon Lawhead politely asking if she remove the details, D'Anastasio said that a journalist never deletes things they believe are true. That's where we were at before. Kotaku editor Stephen Totillo very recently has since taken down the complaint upon sections, but insisted that he believes D'Anastasio's account that she got full participation and said that D'Anastasio's sources should uh, continue to trust her. Effectively, reading between the lines, Totillo said Law had lied. At the very least, we're working with a quote-unquote many truths kind of moment. So to recap, Lawhead came forward about the, uh, the rape she says occurred 
she was raped by Jeremy Sewell. Um, she came forward to Cecilia D'Anastasio. D'Anastasio published details of that rape that uh, Law had said that she had never given an okay for. Kotaku has removed those uh, pieces, but then also uh, in, in a move that I actually thought was uh, kind of remarkably cynical and, and disappointing, uh, essentially called Lawhead a liar or someone who just didn't quite understand what she was getting into in the first place. Okay, so that's the whole basis. Sorry I even took that long on it, but this is obviously important for like many different reasons, uh, not least of all the selective belief of women uh, that's occurring here, right? The whole like believe women uh, uh, mantra being sort of selective. But what I want to talk about in this podcast is not that, but the ways that this kind of response reflects on a kind of journalism that has grown out of blogging. So, you know, Deadspin, Gawker, Kotaku, uh, these sites and, and many others are big emblems of this type of journalism that I'll be talking about. But, you know, I'll also happily admit to supporting and enjoying those websites. Uh, there are other people who also perform this kind of journalism who I, you know, truly do not enjoy. Uh, Devin Faraci, the film crit Hulk guy, Movie Bob. Uh, they employ this sort of rhetoric as well. So it isn't about a style that indicates a type of writer I like or dislike. Um, it's an approach to journalism that centers the idea of social ameliorative, ameliorative justice while simultaneously centering the author of the piece as opposed to the subject. Let me interject one last time. This isn't a screed against social justice, which is something you always have to say when you're critiquing Kotaku after Gamergate. Um, you know, sorry to, to be that guy, but it isn't about social justice. It also isn't a screed against social justice in journalism. Thousands of good essays, published and otherwise, have been written with the goal of bringing attention or action to an egregious social issue, and these, to me, are social justice in the most palpable sense. I like social justice. I like the work and the brave journalism that brought attention to the desaparecidos of Ciudad Juarez. I like the muckraking of Ralph Nader, who made cars safer for all of us. I even enjoy the classics of the journalism bombshell genre, your jungle, uh, your octopus at all. Um, I even appreciate the ways that journalists use their connections and abilities to shine a light on the neo-fascists in power across the world. Um, you know, I'm not always a big fan of his writing, but I 100% uh, support, say, Glenn Greenwald in his, uh, you know, being arrested under clearly trumped up charges by Jair Bolsonaro. Like, people like Greenwald writing on Bolsonaro are important. Um, and, you know, you don't have to agree with everything a person stands for to agree that they are perfect, or, <laughs> excuse me, to agree that they are important. Um, so, yeah, I like social justice stuff. I would be, you know, if you want to be glib about it, I would be sort of the social justice warrior that people get mad about online. Um, this isn't critiquing that. But this is, and to repeat, critiquing this sort of like use of cultural politics to defend biases and blind spots and put them above all reproach. It goes back in a certain way to why you can't criticize Marvel or Star Wars movies without getting a barrage uh, of, of, you know, tweets or, you know, emails or whatever uh, from people telling you why they're important um, and not just important, but capital I important. And here's why um, it also allows for journalism without risk. I'll explain what I mean. D'Anastasio's article, written with a particular eye towards a claim or a reason, would have necessarily been different than the one she wrote, if only because her defended method, ex post facto, is not, quote, this is what the piece needed, uh, that is to say, the, the, the work she included that is at issue is what is needed for the piece to succeed at X or Y goal, 
but rather the justification she gives is I was within my journalistic rights to write the piece as imagined, right? It's important. Let's dwell upon this difference for a moment. The difference is between writing something for uh, a specific stated or even just implied purpose and writing something because it's, you know, you are given sort of a, an okay by a, uh, you know, an, an animate group of people or a group of rules that you can write it. In fact, the apology note that D'Anastasio writ- has written effectively argues that Lawhead does not understand the journalistic method or made a mistake on some Byzantine on or off the record distinction. Nowhere is there a defense of why this would have been included. The the information or the the you know information about the rape itself would have been included. Nowhere is there a moment where D'Anastasio makes an argument that justifies her being unwilling to take down something incredibly damaging to a person who trusted her in an interview. The only justification here is that the work followed the rules. And this is deeply troubling to me, right? Because following the rules of something as alien as journalistic method when doing journalism that attempts to give voice to people who do not have a voice is, to be frank, unrealistic and irresponsible. Not to mention, you know, where do you think those rules came from? I expect the dusty grand men of journalism did not much care about the project of social justice, right? Uh, so, you know, what does it matter if you're following the rules and hurting your subjects? When friends and colleagues of mine have worked to unionize precarious working communities, and I'm staying vague here uh, so as not to endanger anyone, but, you know, I've had friends who have, you know, done this before, who have worked with uh, precarious communities either by inserting themselves within community or uh, by being sort of an advocate for the community, um, the rule is always flexibility. You come to where they are and you earn trust. You can't assume that you, the brave college-educated leftist, know more than the people you're trying to unionize or help or aid in any other way. People are not dumb because they are mistrustful of people, like you, and groups we see as acceptable. So again, to say it again, maybe a little more clearly, if someone doesn't trust you or someone doesn't trust a union or someone doesn't trust like Marxists or whatever, that doesn't make them dumb that means that they don't trust you for a set of reasons. And especially if they're a precarious community that you are trying to help, you need to come to them about this. You can't just yell at them more about what you think is right. It isn't a rigid, unchangeable offense to not know exactly what is and isn't on the record. And while I truly do not believe that Lawhead was confused about what she did and didn't give permission to publish, I also think that if she was, right? Like, even if we take the Anastasio's... Um, explanation of the issue at total face value even if she was confused about what she did and didn't give permission to publish she should still be respected enough as a person to be given the chance to redact the work she is uncomfortable with but trev you say that's how we whittle away free speech no it isn't stop it free speech is important but if your goal is to speak for the speechless then your goal should be to produce speech that respects them and where they're at first and foremost and if your goal is to get the reporting out by reporting standards then that goal is going to necessarily be at odds with the former goal of speaking for the speechless. You can't have both. And here's the big problem, right? You cannot have both. D'Anastasio can't be some sort of fighter for the truth and light of people who do not have a voice and also only care about journalistic standards. You can't do both. Blogs rode this odd line between these two uh, goals early in their existence, where their identity as not quite newspapers was enough to make people trust them when those people wouldn't otherwise trust major media. The rules also felt fast and loose. 
But now that we're firmly in the world Gawker built, where serious journalism is being done on what were formerly blogs, bloggers need to start asking the same questions that journalists have been asking for years. Namely, what does the journalist code of ethics leave out when it comes to your very human subjects? And what does basic empathy have to do with reporting? And let me put it another way. This is nothing new, of course, this kind of like uh, um, uh, mining for a kind of scoop or uh, social credit or cultural credit in uh, someone else's trauma. Journalists have to start thinking about what people who have been organizing for a long time have thought about a lot, too, which is how not to center yourself in these things and why it would be an issue to do so. Right. What is the what is gained and what is lost? Uh, And that's the big question that needs to be asked. At its best, Gawker, Deadspin, and Kotaku above all, in my opinion, grappled directly with this question of what does basic empathy have to do with reporting? And people took advantage of them for that grappling, Peter Thiel and Hulk Hogan above all. But the work people loved from these sites was personal, careful reporting, and it had a goal and a heart. When I say heart here, I don't mean the generalized positive aphorism you see in sports. You know, this could be good or bad heart. A core component to the work, Heart is, that lets it exist without being a quote-unquote scoop, or rather lets it exist beyond being a scoop. From the very interesting uh, Jason Trier's work on Rockstar in uh, when they released uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 comes to mind, to the least, like, uh, I don't know, like film critic Hulk doing a 5,000-word piece on how nerdy is the same thing as being black or whatever. The problem with this kind of journalism sort of issue at core or, or, or the flaw that needs to be addressed. Let me put it that way. The flaw that needs to be addressed, the necessary flaw that needs to be addressed is that it doesn't have a clear sense of its purpose, right? Why am I writing this piece? Why am I, why am I pointing this out? Why am I bringing this to light? Schreier does come close and, and does at times have a clear argument to his reportage. Um, but also, and I like Schreier's work. I, I've, I've cited it. I think it's very interesting. And I think he understands what's at stake and often reports it um, you know, with that in mind. But on the other hand, the cold reporting of workplace atrocity by way of employment abuse is what encourages the kind of rubbernecking as opposed to actual or material emotional aid we see, which is to say, boy, how bad is, uh, how bad's crunch, man? Like, man, that's, that's rough. And I'm guilty of this. Every, all of us are. If we've read Schreier's articles and we are not working in the games industry, likely we have talked about how bad crunch is casually and thinking about, ooh, those poor, poor devs. That's terrible. It's not super helpful, right? And that's not Schreier's fault, and it's not our fault, but it is kind of both because we haven't talked about or thought about the purpose of these articles enough. No one is saying you can't see cultural or social justice motifs in Star Wars or Red Dead Redemption or whatever, but you can't assume that anyone who disagrees with you about those motives is a racist, or in the case of Movie Bob, uh, that they should be eradicated with all of the red staters. Writing journalism with the heart of journalism hard stop means that this kind of writing that has no argument and then occur and accuses anyone who argues against it of being uh, blinkered or uh, bigoted um, is all that ends up being produced for Weller Wheel. The conclusions to years of blogging professionalization, in other words, is just a more intensified corporate ladder to climb. Scoop after scoop after scoop, CV line after CV line after CV line. And I find that tragic. Now, I do not have a lot of a good employment-based reasons to say this, anything on this podcast. I like to write for a living sometimes, and I also have friends who work at Kotaku, Polygon, Deadspin, RIP. I would not really be as thoughtful about this work without them, though, especially David Roth. And 
I'm thinking through this not to put Cecilia De Anastasio's or Steven Tatillo's or, you know, even movie Bob's head on a pike or whatever, right? But I'm thinking through it because there's something really troubling to me about an industry that prides itself on social justice or voicing the concerns of the voiceless that relies simply on the idea of, quote, a big article as the lodestone of their work. When the article becomes more important than the people you claim to represent, when your opinion as author drowns out theirs as subject, then you're doing no more than this new age version of classical anthropology. Who are these strange people and what are their habits and how can I, the wise anthropologist, center myself as a translator of their, their strange and, and, and foreign ways, right? Done right or wrong, we don't need to be that anthropologist anymore. We have no need to revise the stories of other people for our own comfort anymore. Thanks. And uh, I will, uh, you know, I'm not going to do any promotional stuff at the end of this one, but, uh, you know, uh, definitely keep an eye out for more from me um, and uh, be well. 